1: It is Thursday, January 19th. The year of our Lord 2023, one of those special local news feeling, breaking news kinds of shows. Yeah, things are happening. We weren't even ready to start like 15 minutes ago, but start we will at the top of the hour for you every 24 or 48 hours. We're jam-packed, we're high atop a really, really buzzing downtown Nashville, Tennessee. The office is buzzing because stuff's been happening like all afternoon, and we're gonna talk about it. So we got Jaden Rashad in the show. Not live. He's not going to be here, but I will discuss all the things you've been discussing when it comes to Jaden Rashad and his exit, if you will, from Gainesville, Florida. The portal window is closed. The early window is closed. So if you were going to go in, you're in. You don't have to have landed somewhere, but you have to have entered the portal or else you've got to wait until that, I think, 15-day window post-spring. There are several moves we need to talk about tonight. Jim Harbaugh, it looks to me as if he has sort of kind of called the NCAA's bluff, and I'm not so sure I don't agree with every move that he and the University of Michigan are making right now. Did you know they were under NCAA investigation? You probably have heard of it. We're going to dive into it a little bit tonight. Also, there's a lot of movement at Arkansas. I've taken a good 24, 48 hours. I've tried to figure out what's happening. I've talked to some folks, and I will talk to you tonight because one of you asked me to about what's going on up there is it bad is it good is it neither kind of indifferent we will discuss they're watching us in Huntington Beach California where I have it on good authority that some of our Georgia brethren still just haven't even come back from California Anderson South Carolina Hiram, Georgia speaking of the peach state Bridgeport Texas maybe Bridgeport Connecticut as well all you guys are tuned in we appreciate it I have had a lot of you since we sorta came back into the new year ask Hey, what about those interviews you promised us? You did one with Cole Kubelik, but I thought you said that as a reward for us hitting 150,000 subs we were gonna get several interviews. Yeah, the delay is because I like the idea so much I didn't even want to just do two or three. We're actually in the process of lining up like eight to ten of them. I don't really know what number we're gonna cap it at, but we've got some pretty big names that as it turns out we're very attracted to this concept and it won't really be interviews as much as it'll be conversations kinda like we did with Cole anyway I say all that to say in exchange for being a little more patient for me on that you're gonna get a lot more than you bargained for we appreciate you on that All right, let's dive into the show you know about an hour ago I thought I was talking Jaden Rashada to lead the show but uh, black can change in an hour you can play several ping pong matches in an hour as we did earlier today but I'll tell you what else can happen. Colin, here's your end point. Courtney, my, uh, <clears throat> that's not your endpoint at all because I had to cough. This is your endpoint. point. Coromani has committed to Colorado, not Miami, not any of a number of other big-time programs out there you may associate with a five-star corner out of Lakeland, Florida. No, no. Deion Sanders just did it again. Deion Sanders, probably the only person walking planet Earth who could bring Cormani McLean, five-star corner, out of Lakeland, Florida, to Boulder, Colorado. But he did it. Carl Reed's down there, been down there all afternoon. News just became official right before we went on the air. 6'2", about 165, 170. Prototype ball skills here. Great size for what they want him to be, a corner. And I, I want to talk to you for just a second because I know some of you, I know because I've already heard from you, even though this happened 15 minutes ago. I've been watching the live chat and I've been watching the I, Josh. and some of you have said, oh, I'm just... I'm so fed up with this drama and the NIL and every other day it's a rumor and I get it. I get it. I'm not here to tell you how to feel. You can feel any way you want to. But what I am reminding you is sometimes these prospects who are afterthoughts you may get tired of because you say that kid doesn't warrant my attention. This one warrants your attention. Travis Hunter. The cycle before, who Dion also landed, warranted your attention. You know, I think anyone who's watched that kid play, and anyone who ends up watching Cormani McLean play, you may get a little tired of the drama, but you're going to have to recognize these are really, really good football players, and when you see his game, just like if you watch Travis Hunter, when you see that game, it makes you stop and it makes you say, all right, I guess if anyone's worth the drama, those kinds of players are worth the drama. And I want to remind you of a cycle prior, not necessarily NIL related, but what my mind always goes back to when we talk about how much attention is being paid to certain commitments and certain recruitments is JT Tuomaloao, who is at Ohio State and shining right now. And I remember his deal was he was the number one overall player in the country. So obviously that's a bright spotlight, but then he goes past signing day. Remember, he didn't even take his visits until after the second signing day and it's all we had to talk about so we talked about him a lot and one of the biggest collective pushbacks that I had gotten from our audience the show was still kinda young at that point was why do you keep talking about this one kid so much there's no way that this one kid should take up this much oxygen in the room there well then the Penn State game happens this past year and old JTT kinda won a game he took over a game single-handedly you see I'm not fancying myself as a scout. I don't run my own service, but I think I know high-level football players when I see him. He was one. Coramina McLean is one. And so when you know a guy or you think you know that a guy's going to have game-changing potential down the road in a sport where we only play 12 of them in the regular season, if you think a guy is so good that his presence on a football field can change the course of a game, you pay attention to him just a little bit more. And if he goes deeper in the cycle and everyone else has landed somewhere and he hasn't, then you pay a lot more attention to him. And so we've paid attention to Cormani McClain. Again, to reiterate, not really telling you how you should feel or how I even feel about NIL and about all this and that, it's kind of irrelevant. Everyone's got their opinion on it. Here's the fact. The fact is Deion Sanders for the second year in a row has become one of the fixtures in the middle of a conversation that a Jackson State head coach or a Colorado head coach never in a million years would have found himself in the center of before. That's the Deion Sanders effect. And for that matter, Jesse and Colin, I guess the JTT treatment we also got when Dion took this job. Dion took the Colorado job. And we talked about it a lot. And some of you, fair or not, you thought we talked about it a little bit too much. Well, this is why. I, I, want, I want to ask you, even if Kirby Smart himself were to go and take the Colorado job tomorrow. I mean, Kirby is on top of the college football world right now. The guy's a back to back national championship winning coach. If he was the head coach at Colorado, would he have been able to pull this off? My answer is no. I don't think there's anyone outside of that guy right there standing at that podium, Deion Sanders, that could pull something like this off. I know what I'm going to read in the comment. In fact, let me save you some time if you plan on saying this. Well, yeah, but They wouldn't have been able to do it without NIL. Everybody's got access to doing that. Everybody's free to do it. Colorado's the one that pulled it off. Colorado's the place where he's going to go and play his college football. And I also, I don't think you can mention Cormonty McLean without also acknowledging he's going there with Travis Hunter. Guys, those are two of the very best corner prospects that high school football has produced in the past two cycles. And they're not playing in Tuscaloosa or Columbus or Clemson or Athens. They're playing in Boulder, Colorado. So I know their schedule came out. The Pac-12 released their schedule yesterday, and it's tough. It is tough. They open at TCU. They're going to play Nebraska, Colorado State, and then the rest of it is conference play. There is no Towson State. There's no Catala Community College. There's no roast beef tech. None of that. And so it was kind of in vogue over the past 24 hours or so to say, I mean, is he going to be able to win three games, four games? I don't know. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that. I'm just saying they put two difference makers on the field, and both of them play the same position. So at the very least, your receivers should have a stiff challenge facing them at USC or Oregon or whoever the case may be when you go play the University of Colorado this year. Chris Fowler, Joel Klatt. I mean, there are guys in our industry that are Colorado alums. What a a day. For folks like that. So we got Cormani McLean, if you just tuned in, commits to Colorado and uh, that, quite frankly, is not a headline I saw coming out of my mouth about two months ago. College football never sleeps. It just never sleeps. Now, you may be thinking time for an Academy ad break. Nope. Not yet. That news is so fresh we didn't even have time to reformat the show. What else has been happening? What else have, have you guys been chatting about at work today? well, If you're in the greater Gainesville area, you've probably been a little bit salty about this. If you're in Tallahassee or Coral Gables or pretty much anywhere else, you probably laughed about this a little bit and shame on you. Don't kick your brother when he's down. Jaden Rashada has been released from his NLI, not NIL, NLI, although it has to do with NIL. Very confusing acronym era that we're in, in CFB. Speaking of which, Jaden Rashada, the very, very brief backstory there is he was committed to Well, multiple schools ended up committing to Florida, signing with Florida, big time quarterback prospect out of Pittsburgh, California. And so then it came time for him to enroll and the NIL agreement, uh, it turns out, was not agreed upon. And so there was a lot of back and forth and gnashing of teeth. And ultimately he requested his release. Florida gave him his release this was bound to happen somewhere. It just so happens that it was Florida where it happened. Now, this is not going to be the norm three years from now. My hope is it's not the norm three months from now. I hope there are a lot of valuable lessons being learned, not just by Florida. I can promise you they've learned some lessons. I mean, Texas or or Nebraska or Michigan State or whoever. I hope everyone's been watching because the truth is, contrary to popular belief, you don't always have to learn lessons the hard way. Sometimes you can watch someone else burn their hand on the stove and say, I don't think I'm going to touch that stove when it's hot. And likewise, you need to get your collectives in order. If you haven't already, you need to get them in order. You need to know whose hands are on the wheel. You need to know who are the mouthpieces who are speaking for your program, and you need to be working in unison and lockstep. Now, there may be people in certain athletic departments across Gainesville and the country screaming back at me right now, we'd love to. But we're not allowed to. Our coaching staff can't work hand in hand with the collective. And to that I say, stay tuned for about five minutes. I will, I will speak your mind to the powers that be for you. In the meantime, not so shockingly, a lot of blame has been passed around here. And blame is fun. Blame is popular. Blame is cool. Yeah, okay. It's easy to blame. How are you going to fix it? What are the fixes? What are the lessons being learned here? You know, at Florida, I think first and foremost, they've learned the hard way how not to do things. They learned uh, via flushing out the pipes where the cracks are in their infrastructure. And they also learned that there may be people representing the University of Florida, not necessarily employed by the University of Florida, that don't need to be representing that brand in those particular capacities you could look at how nil is being handled university to university right now kind of like your family reunion you don't really get to pick who shows up your family is your family and nil just kind of got dropped on us i know that for a long time it was rumored that we're going to be able to pay players hey this thing may be coming in reality it happened pretty quick and collectives as a term in college football it kind of appeared pretty quick out of nowhere and here's the fact of the matter the fact of the matter is there was not this long hiring and vetting process it would be great if there were but in reality the folks who were already fundraising for you or who were handling your booster clubs they just happened to be thrust into some of these roles or they thrust themselves into some of these roles and they had no business being in that role there's also a power dynamic if previously you had been anonymous and all of a sudden you can be the face of Pate State recruiting via the NIL and collective, and you don't necessarily have to answer to the head coach, then yeah, that's attractive to some folks. Doesn't mean you're qualified. So Florida's learned that lesson the hard way. I think a number of other programs have, through osmosis, watched this and learned the hard way. You've got to mitigate the optics damage now. Florida looks bad. They look bad. I, I don't know this to be true. But it wouldn't shock me if some other players had been deterred from going to Florida. I'm thinking Walker Howard, for example. I don't know where he was ever going to go. He may have always been headed to Ole Miss. I can tell you it certainly didn't help matters with Florida that fresh in everyone's mind is, hey, a quarterback was going to go there, and he was excited about going there. And then all of a sudden, he wasn't excited anymore, and it's because... You couldn't fulfill your end of the deal you promised him. And so those details will come out one day. My point is, optics matter. In some cases, whether they're true or not, they matter. Now, if you got some stuff out there that is glaringly false that's being said about your program, there's really only one thing you can do, and that's get in front of a microphone yourself and clear it up. And I don't know that that would be in the best interest of anyone there right now, or would it? You know, that's open-ended. I don't run PR for Florida. I'm saying I think there is some blame that's being shouldered by folks inside that athletic department. that really shouldn't be shouldered. Now, if you're trying to man up and you're saying, hey, with, to whom much is given, much is expected, and much has to be borne in the face of criticism, okay, that's all well and good. I don't view this as a Napier thing. I don't view this as a Strickland thing. I don't, and I can promise you I've done due diligence on that front. But be that as it may, it's a problem no matter whose fault it is. So they got to fix that. And they got to replenish their roster. And they got to get a quarterback in there. Now, hopefully they've already got him on campus. And I'm sure I could find a lot of you down there who could sell me on a guy already on campus. You've got to do that for me. You, you've got to sell me. Because I'm not sold. I'm not sold that your winning quarterback of the future is on campus right now. Uh, you, you, you try and sell me on Graham Mertz. I've tried to sell myself on him before. I think Max Brown, ironically, is the guy you could probably have the easiest time selling me on you're not selling me on Jack Miller being a difference maker for Florida you're you're not could be wrong uh, but he's gonna have to prove it to me on the field for me to be wrong there now as for college football and a lot of the lessons being learned out there like I said there's one steering wheel shouldn't be many hands on it but in some places there are and Florida's not the first place that's had trouble with this they're the most high-profile recent example of it we just talked a couple of weeks ago about Iowa and how They're having trouble up there because the actual athletic department doesn't want to give one bit of access to the collective, even though the collective seems to have pure intentions and they want to work hand in hand with the athletic department. But the athletic department has, in my opinion, some very arcane reasons why they won't do so. I would, this is not a, this is a generic warning. Be very careful keeping your distance from folks who just are going to have increasingly more power as the dynamics continue to shift in this sport. It's better. It's, it's better not to view your NIL collectives as your enemy, but even if you view them with a contentious eye, it's better to have them in the room. It's better to know what everyone's saying and everyone's thinking. And if, if you hear a conversation over here in the corner about them offering uh, mid four star outside linebacker prospect who your coaching staff's not even interested in offering you better go ahead and nip that in the bud because if you don't those conversations are still happening they're just happening outside your purview and all of a sudden the kid's got a a sack full of promised cash to him and your coaching staff doesn't even want him now what do you do there well you um you break a promise to a kid that's not what happened with Rashad I'm saying this is an example if you don't have your house and your affairs in order of what could happen. Also from the NCAA side of things. As is usually the case in this sport, I'm not one to bang on the NCAA relentlessly. It's just warranted a lot of the time. And the reality of the situation right now is a lot of this was just dropped on athletic departments and coaching staffs. And then the NCAA just left. They said, here you go, we're out, handle it. Oh, and by the way, before we go, you know, you picture him getting in the car and they've backed out of the driveway. They roll down the passenger's window and they say, you guys can't work with your collective. Coaches can't control the money. Okay, bye. And then they peel out. And your coaching staff's like, what just happened? So, so wait, let me get this straight now. We can, we can pay players. Well, not exactly pay to play. They can make money. And we know full well that many programs... The second that this gets put into law are going to abuse that. Uh, If we want to follow the letter of the law, we're going to handcuff ourselves because our coaches can't control the purse strings. Some collective full of people who have never coached a day in their life and have no access, they don't have key cards to our building because they're not employed by our university. They're the ones who are going to handle the money, and this is supposed to be sustainable. Is that right? And the NCAA is down the block and around the corner, and they yell,
0: figure it out
1: that's where we are right now now you want to know why coaches whine a lot quote unquote complain a lot it's not because their job is hard it's because in some cases their job has been made impossible how do you navigate this right now i mean i want you to tell me what the proper path is when your your entire job depends on acquiring talent and then all of a sudden the legislative body That controls your world says you can do this thing now, but you can't control the thing that you can do now, but a lot of people who have no expertise and no business controlling it can control it and we're going to pop you if you violate this law. What where's the I see a lot of lose where's the win? where's the clean path forward there so. You want to know why people complain? It's not because their job's hard, it's because in some cases, the very entity that is supposed to clean it up and make the path clearer has actually made the path impossible and then made you drive two-wheel drive down the muddiest of roads that you could possibly find. That, in a nutshell, is why you have situations like the Jaden Rashada situation. And if you think it's as clean and neat as saying, shame on Billy Napier, shame on Scott Strickland, they should have known, okay, maybe they should have. I'm just telling you there are about 17 more layers to that onion, and this is not necessarily a Florida problem. It just so happened to be that Florida ended up having the egg on their face for a problem that eventually is going to face a lot of universities.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Now, I need to tell you some bad news. But it has nothing to do with Academy, even though this is an Academy ad read. I, at about 8.30 or 9 o'clock last night, I tweeted something out. Because I wanted you to hear it from me. Because when bad news happens around here, especially as it pertains to me, there are a lot of very anxious people who want to get that news out. Most of them are supposed to be my friends, but it rarely is treated that way. I walked into this building yesterday undefeated on the relatively new ping pong table we have. I left here with a one in the loss column. And you may think that's the worst news. No, the worst news is it was HR that delivered the death blow to my undefeated streak and HR handled it about like you would expect HR to handle a big win over the number one ranked player in the office. How does this have anything to do with Academy? Well, I was mad at the world last night when I left here, but you know who I can't be mad at is the place where you go to buy the equipment because the tables the paddles, the balls, everything we could possibly need to create this very unique environment we have. We got so much floor space here that we could afford to just do away with a row of cubicles and we got shuffleboard. It's, it's mainly a Jesse game. I don't mess with that much, but we've got foosball, we got ping pong and it it can all be acquired at Academy you know the best parts of our office we can find all at one location and that's Academy Sports and Outdoors so there's a lot of blame just like in NIL there's a lot of blame to go around for me losing yesterday I don't like the carpeting in the office right now I certainly don't like the way the glare comes off the window after dark I don't like that some of the people that were gathered around the table seem to be actively rooting against me but none of that is Academy's fault so if you if you blame anyone or if you want to give anyone credit and, and place blame elsewhere, make sure the credit goes to Academy Sports and Outdoors. And if you are so interested in building your own little little ping pong area or, or just buying a tent or a piece of clothing or a baseball bat, that season's rapidly approaching, Academy Sports and Outdoors is your one-stop shop. They make this show free of charge to you. And if you can't get there in person, that's a shame, but that's fine because academy.com has you set. They're watching us in Tuskegee, Alabama tonight. They are watching us in Providence, Rhode Island. And we had checks in from France and and Australia. Live viewers. I don't know what time it is there. I just know it's not 7.23 p.m. there. So thank you guys, wherever you're watching. Head coaching job approval ratings, night three. We got a lot of pushback. Well, actually, we got a lot of traffic on the last edition. It wasn't really pushback. People agreed. In fact, the West Virginia fans, we gave Neil Brown a D-minus, and they said, you may have been a little too kind. Vicious, just just vicious agreement coming from Morgantown. Well, let's continue tonight, because we've got some A's, some B's, and some C's in the job approval category tonight. I want to start with Lincoln Riley out at USC. Now, he's been there one year, so what are we giving him? I always give you a pause, because you can formulate your own opinion. He took over a program that was sub-500- uh, they were going nowhere. Clay Helton was out. He was in. I'm giving Lincoln Riley an A. This is the second pause because some of you are yelling, how could you possibly give that guy an A when he didn't even win the Pac-12 championship? Well, that's because he wasn't supposed to play for the Pac-12 championship uh, because they were they were supposed to have struggles this year. You know, They had to completely overhaul the roster. They had to do what's normally supposed to take two or three years in the olden days, and they actually did it on the fly and ended up Going into the conference championship, they only lost to one team all year. And I'm talking about regular season. I'm not talking about the bowl game. No disrespect to Tulane, but I'm talking about the regular season out there. They lost to Utah. Utah, as has been the case a couple years in a row, they just happened to get in the darling's way out there. One year it was Oregon, now it's USC. But, man, if you're giving Lincoln Riley lower than an A for what he's done so far out there, it's due to either one of two reasons. There you go. Fight on. It's due to either one of two reasons. Either you don't like him, which is whatever. That's between you and him, not me. Or the second reason, you became a victim of recalibration of expectation, which we see sometimes in college football. It goes a little something like this. You're going into the season, and you say, Lincoln Riley's not going to win more than seven games. That defense is not going to be able to withstand the the grind of an entire 12-game schedule, even in the Pac-12. He'll win seven games, nothing more then all of a sudden they start rolling they're not losing the games you thought they would and instead of saying good for Lincoln Riley he's gonna fly past my win total you recalibrate your expectations during the season and you say well he better win the Pac-12 is all I can say what do you mean that's all you can say you thought he was gonna win seven games but that's what happened and there are some folks who I know ahead of time cause I focus grouped this opinion are going to disagree with this. And they think Lincoln Riley should be a B minus or a B. And I think that's insane. Three years from now, if they have the season they just had, it shouldn't be a B minus. That's a really good season. But just because they didn't measure up to Utah or because they wouldn't have measured up to Georgia in the college football playoff, they shouldn't. They shouldn't yet. Uh, Quarterback, check. Caleb Williams back. A guy he brought with him, by the way. Transfer portal, check. Second year in a row, they're killing it there. Recruiting, check. The biggest question mark on this program right now is defense. And Lincoln Riley didn't make a change there. Bringing Alex Grinch back, that's the same guy he brought with him from Oklahoma. Uh, I think it's totally fair that that's a question mark. But that being a question mark right now is not an indictment on Lincoln Riley. It should be a question mark. They didn't have anything over there. I, I would argue I wouldn't expect a top 15 unit this upcoming year. The difference is with what they can do offensively, you may not need one. But Lincoln Riley is getting an A from me. M- maybe I'm a soft substitute teacher of a grader, but he's getting an A from me. And while I'm at it, Josh Heupel at Tennessee is also getting an A. Now with Tennessee, we've got a different scale that we use here at Late Kick and, and generally in the office, but... You could look at all the offensive metrics. You could look at what they're doing in recruiting. I think defensive recruiting a little bit underrated for Tennessee right now. Certainly, it is a gigantic feather in his cap that Hendon Hooker went from looking the way he had looked at a previous stop to looking like a Heisman Trophy contender. Should have been a finalist in my opinion. But they don't give me a vote. What do I know about college football? I also think that when you listen to him after the Alabama upset, one of the things that he continued to harp on rang true. He reeked of cigar smoke, which is a credit to him on that particular night. But he he was almost dismissive of a lot of the praise that they were getting because he said, essentially, I'm going to paraphrase his thoughts that night, it, yeah, it's great that we beat Alabama. It's a very, very big deal. I'm not discounting that, but we're not where we want to be. Our program's not what we think it will be one day. And I think he's honest there. Now, that doesn't mean they'll go from never beating Bama over 16 years to just doing it every year. But I think they're steadfast in their belief that there's still a lot of upward mobility the program's capable of. Will they fulfill it? I've got a lot more confidence they will than I would have last year. I'll say that. And I had pretty good confidence in him last year. He's overachieved both years he's been there so far. So 2021, they go seven and six. 2022, 11 and two. 2023, who knows? But they are sitting top 10 in recruiting right now. again. And also, they went and got Dante Thornton. See, their, their transfer portal class is not ranked in the top 20 because they're not necessarily having to make the moves they were last year, but there are some pieces they've picked up. Dante Thornton's just one from Oregon I happen to have my eye on. And um, I don't know. I've, I've just kind of been fixated on that name. I think he's going to do really, really big things for Tennessee. Here's the caveat, the million-dollar caveat. <coughs> Pending health if he's healthy what's the over under on how many times we say that if he's healthy between now and the first week of september uh let's go to marcus freeman another first year guy how we how we how we grading marcus freeman here you know they started zero and two just a disastrous loss to marshall after a loss to ohio state and it shocks me or it would have shocked me in week two if we looked ahead to the end of the year and i saw myself giving marcus freeman a b but I'm giving them a B plus in the job approval rating because that rough start turned into them beating Brigham Young and they, they beat Clemson handedly and ran all up and down the field on them in the process. Basically they looked like a version of what you would think a Marcus Freeman hard nosed Notre Dame team could look like. And they lost to USC, but they finished nine and four. They've got a top 10 recruiting class as well. So the big benefit with Freeman is you think he's going to be an out-of-this-world recruiter and anything you get in year one is just kind of a cherry on top. But if the cherry on top is a nine-win cherry on top, that's great. We'll take that. I just think more of a, a backslide was expected by a lot of folks. And especially after the start, we were, we were openly speculating about whether they'd make a bowl game or not. And they did. So nine and four, it feels like we'll learn a ton more about him as a head coach and about their program this upcoming year. Not the most bold statement I will have made on this evening, but Marcus Freeman right now, B plus, And then we get to Matt Brown at North Carolina. If I had to guess, I would guess that either Riley or Matt Brown will give us our widest range of, of disagreement, even amongst yourselves. Because the comment section has been lively on the job approval ratings. Mac Brown, I'm giving a C to a C-plus somewhere in there, a C-half-plus. Last year was a bad year. They dropped the ball big time last year. Last year's team, not only the collection of talent they had, but the opportunity they had in the ACC, and I'm I'm saying 2021 last year. They fumbled it, and that was a year where Clemson doesn't even play in the conference championship game. So if there was ever a wide open year for an upstart, talented, energetic program to grab an ACC championship, that was it. Instead, Pitt and Wake Forest played for the conference title last year. So then they come into this year and they start really strong. They're winning a bunch of close games. Their first loss was an out-of-conference loss. It was to Notre Dame and they get all the way to early November and they're they're a one-loss team. And then they lose to Georgia Tech, NC State, Clemson. They lost the bowl game. They finished 0-4 in their final four games. And it took what a lot of people were alleging about them, the fact that they were kind of a paper tiger, they were a hollow contender, and it validated every single one of the allegations. And so now we got two years in a row where I've been disappointed. It's a net disappointment. In the finished result, the finished product or final product of their season, Uh, unlike the last couple of years where you can say, yeah, but look at this upcoming recruiting class. Jesse, where are they? They're like 27th in recruiting right now. So that can change, obviously, uh, but I don't think it's going to change a ton. They had back-to-back top 15 classes the last two cycles. So that's not even there. What is there is Drake May. So they kept the quarterback that a lot of programs would have wanted to get their hands on so that's a plus but given the opportunity given the winnability overall of the ACC and how much energy it felt like was around that program the last couple of years C++ plus, it's best i can do it's like pawn stars is the best i can do C++ plus is the best i can do right now all right let's move on there's a man there's there's as much ink on this piece of paper for a show that prides ourselves in not a ton of notes, there's a lot of ink on this piece of paper in front of me, but it's because a lot has happened uh, over the really the past month, but the past few days, we were approaching that portal closing deadline. You know, the, the portal is open for an early window. So if you're gonna transfer, you at least have to get yourself into the portal by m- midnight yesterday. And so if you're not in already and you're gonna transfer, tough. You got to wait until after spring practice. Colin, here's your end point. So the transfer portal window is closed. If you're not already in, you're going to have to wait. You don't have to have landed at your new program, but you have to at least be in the portal. So now we can, we can breathe a sigh of relief for just a second. The dust is settling. We look around. Do you see what Ole Miss has done? Who's starting quarterback at Ole Miss? No one knows. It's unknowable at this point jackson darts there but he's not a transfer at least this cycle you know he's there walker howard's there now thought there was some legitimate florida traction there turns out walker howard former four-star player last cycle louisiana product was at lsu he transfers to Ole miss so some of the some of the more traditionalist fans in our sport just kind of recoil at the idea of players transferring within a conference much less within a division and Honestly, I feel you, but it is what it is. I just got to ride the wave right now, but I I share your emotion on that. Nevertheless, free country. It is Walker Howard's constitutional right to transfer within division if he wants to, and he did, and that's not it. That's not it, because today we get word. Spencer Sanders, remember Spencer Sanders? He's been missing. Spencer Sanders went in the portal, been on the back of milk cartons for the better part of two months, or thereabouts. No longer. Because he's also landed at Ole Miss. And for those of you who are keeping score at home, we have the crown jewel of the last class for LSU at quarterback. Well, he's at Ole Miss now. Jackson Dart started for Ole Miss last year. He's there. Spencer Sanders has started since like 1997 at quarterback for Oklahoma State. He's there. And they can only put one of them on the field at a time. So if you're looking for an early storyline, to watch in spring practice and you're not already an Ole Miss fan check out Oxford and I don't I don't know that there's any world where I think all three of those guys stay there post spring and I'm just putting two and two together this is not information or intel I, these are three guys who fancy themselves a starting quarterback that's why they transferred to begin with so if you think all of them are going to exit spring and stay there I would I would be surprised at that let me put it that way. Now, the other thing you need to know is this makes back-to-back top 15 transfer portal classes for Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. And I know that I was listening to Ben Mintz talk today and he was jacked and he was outdoors and, and, and he was feeling it because the news had just come down and he was saying, hey, the collective's doing what the collective needs to do at Ole Miss. And he's right. He's right. They're picking their spots. And I think you'll come to realize over the next few cycles, that some programs have the science of NIL figured out a little bit more than others. And by science, I mean proper attribution of roster value on a player, not brand value. Brand value and roster value, as I have explained to you before, are two different compartments within the broader scope of NIL. Roster value, you should essentially interpret to mean, how much is that player actually worth to your football team? Brand value is how much Aflac will pay me uh, to, to be an ambassador while I'm playing for your program. That's the more classical NIL approach. But roster value, how much should we actually be paying to a kid? Now, of course, here's, here's the legalese. Programs don't pay football players to play football for them. That's illegal. That doesn't happen. Pay to play is not happening. Have I, have I recited it? like the lawyers told me I'm supposed to recite okay now that we got that out of the way and the high-level mustaches the high-level legal teams out of the room let's talk real talk again they know what they're doing at Ole Miss they don't have the deepest purse but they know what they're doing and they solidified probably more so than just about anyone else out there they solidified their quarterback room because they've got the best thing you could possibly have competition with multiple quality participants at the most important position on your football team. So good for Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. Now let's see what spring teaches us about that room. A.D. Mitchell is in the transfer portal, big receiver prospect, big play resume. He has scored a touchdown in every college football playoff game they've played in since he's been on campus, which is four of them. And he was hurt most of this year. And a lot of us were just counting down the days on if he's able to return this year for Georgia, and he was, and Ohio State found out. And then, well, like I scored a touchdown for Georgia against TCU, but he did too, so he's a really good player, he's from Texas. Until I hear otherwise, I'm just going to expect that he lands at Texas. I, I was at Georgia spring game, Two years ago, he was the player of the game for them in the spring game. The funny thing about it is, Ajai Hall was the player of the spring game for Alabama, and he's nowhere to be found in Tuscaloosa. He's long since gone. So that doesn't always tell you the whole story. But A.D. Mitchell, that was a sign of things to come. And I heard from several of our Georgia fans, and they had a bunch of guys portal out of Athens last year. They will every year. That's just the nature of being as loaded as they are. But some of you kind of said the same thing. You said, this one hurts a little bit more. Because this isn't a guy that had, you know, 248 receiving yards and mop-up duty. This is a guy who is synonymous with some of the biggest moments in the history of this program. Georgia doesn't have 14 or 15 national titles up there. They got four of them, and he's been a key contributor on half of those. He's the guy who caught that eventual game-winning touchdown against Bama last year. He's the guy who caught that go-ahead touchdown against Ohio State this year. And he's moving on. And I don't necessarily think it's a, it's a problem or it's a sign that there's a big issue. I think probably he wanted a change of scenery. There are personal reasons here uh, that aren't necessarily related to any kind of toxicity at Georgia or anything like that. Uh, but uh, Texas is my guess. That's my guess. And it's because obviously he has family in Texas. If the Longhorns get A.D. Mitchell, that will be this cycle's version of them getting Isaiah Nayer, the kid they got from Wyoming that I thought was going to, pop off the screen and then he got hurt in fall camp. Well let's hope A.D. Mitchell did not get hurt. Because if he doesn't, I fully believe he can be a thousand plus yard receiver for Texas if he goes there. I think he can be a thousand yard kid wherever he goes. Let me put it that way. Speaking of the receiver position, the fighting Jesse's have made moves at Penn State. One big question, if you ask Penn State fans about 2023, wasn't quarterback. In fact it wasn't pretty much any other position on the field. They feel good elsewhere. It was wide receiver. Parker Washington, he's gone. Mitchell Tinsley, they got him out of the portal last year. He's gone, what are we going to do at receiver? Well, James Franklin saw that too, apparently. And so they've, they've picked their spots. And they kind of laid in the weeds. And all of a sudden, Penn State's made some moves at receiver too. They got Dante Cephas. That was the number 28 overall player in the portal. He's out of Kent State. More on the golden flashes in just a second. And uh, big numbers from 2021. 82 receptions, over 1,200 yards, nine touchdowns, and they got Malik McClain to go along with him. And you'll probably notice when you watch Penn State this fall, this is not a bunch of guys who are cut from the same cloth. I mean, McLean's 6'4", 200, devastating blocker. You watch some of his highlight film, and he doesn't touch the ball, and you're saying, why is this play on Malik McClain's highlight film? Well, it's because he stalk-blocked a defender halfway into the next county. That's why. And so they got some burners. They already had some there. But they got some burners. They got some route runners and underneath guys. They got some some physical street fighting kind of guys like Malik McLean. They did a really good job here. I think it's a really, really versatile good mixture in the receiver room. I'm telling you, Penn State's a playoff team. Playoff caliber team. Not I'm not making my predictions in January. Get, here's something that happens. Look how close the blue pin is to matching the Penn State. Anyway. When I mention Penn State, there is a contingent of folks out there who say, Oh, we do this every year with Penn State. Well, no, we don't. Because the next time I predict Penn State to make the playoffs on this show will be the first time I've ever predicted Penn State to make the playoffs. So if we get to August and I pick that team to go to the playoffs, it's not, Oh, we're doing it with Penn State again. I don't care what anyone else has done, because quite frankly, I don't really listen to any other shows. I know what we haven't done. And what I haven't done is ever been this all-in on Penn State. And I'm sure, I'm sure that coaching staff loves praise being heaped on a team in January that hasn't even broken spring camp, much less fall camp. You're welcome, guys. That's what we're here for. Uh, Thank you, Jesse. Okay, and also, this is a sad, sad situation. You cannot have a lot of programs out there loading up on players without someone getting victimized. And frankly, I don't know if there's anyone left at Kent State. Chris Hummer wrote an article earlier today. It's still over on 247sports.com if you want to read the horror in print form. Winners and losers in the portal. (coughs) Let me tell you what a loser in the portal looks like. First off, you lose your head coach. Sean Lewis went to Colorado with Deion Sanders to be the OC out there. That was the beginning. Then they lost their starting quarterback to UCLA. They lost their starting running back to Ball State. They lost their top three receivers to Penn State, West Virginia, and North Carolina. Both their starting offensive tackles went to Colorado and UCF. Oh, and their top corner went to West Virginia. What? So, hey, three cheers for parity in college football as long as you're an upper tier power five school, right? I love, I love the gatekeepers of this sport and how much they care about equality throughout uh, Kent State will struggle to field a competitive team in the year of our Lord 2023, and it's because their players all left and their coach left. And as a result, you're gonna have you're gonna have some players wearing the Kent State uniform. I don't necessarily know what standard they'll be up to, but there you go. The seedy underbelly of the transfer portal rears its ugly head again. This time at Kent State, and also, I thought I was done, but I, I did want to remind you if you're just coming back to the table and. You haven't been following the portal. Well, here's what it looks like right now. Transfer portal rankings. You can see these on 247sports.com. LSU, number one in the country. Florida State's up there. We've talked about them a lot. Frankly, we probably haven't talked about Auburn enough. They're sitting at number three. My apologies. Colorado, we just discussed moments ago. And then there's USC at five. Do you notice the number six team? If you're listening on podcast, let me tell you seven through ten. UCLA, Wisconsin, Michigan, Oklahoma. There's one team I left out. Who do you think, whomst do you think would be that mysterious question mark brand at number six? And before I tell you who it is, 49 of the top 50 classes in the transfer portal rankings are power five schools. However, number six, SMU, is the one exception. SMU, out of the top 50 the only non p5 school in the transfer portal rankings and there they go this is what that's what a that's what a pony sounds like good for SMU Uh, that is difficult to do we just saw the opposite side of that coin when a non power 5 gets rated. well that's what happens when one fattens up they end up in the top 10 amongst some really really big brand names we had some questions in the in the pate state inbox because I read your comments they're right there in the registrar's office on campus and I I care I care about about what our folks have to say so as long as you like the video and you subscribe to the channel I will continue to care Uh, there it is again about a quarter of you have hit that little thumbs up button it's not me it bothers I'm just telling you this thing right here that that earpiece it just goes crazy with Jesse complaining and whining and moaning Tell them to like the video. Tell them to subscribe to the channel. So do it for Jesse and really do it for me so I don't have to listen to Jesse anymore. It helps us also. There's that. If you care about the channel and the show, it helps us.
0: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Uh, Let's dive into the inbox, shall we? Let me take a little sip out of the chalice. Hmm. Good. Good mysterious liquid in the chalice tonight. Blake asked a question for a lot of you. And he said, why are all these coaches and players suddenly leaving Arkansas? Well, Blake, good question. Let's talk about it. We need to get into the weeds, though. That's what we do. We pride ourselves on being in the weeds on this show. Because if you fly over at 50,000 feet, it looks like it's really bad in Fayetteville right now. I'm not going to run interference. You know I have an affinity for this program. Although I grew up in rural Georgia, I have an affinity for the Arkansas Razorbacks. So there is a little homerism in me. I don't claim to be a journalist here. I can show favoritism. When you have internal issues, and let me, let me stop because some of you may not be picking up what I'm putting down here. Arkansas had not the best of years on the field this year, and some of it was due to injury, some of it was due to lack of execution, and I think some of it was due to some internal strife, especially that popped up in the second half of the year. A lot of that is their business, and it's not my place to air it out. I think some of the contributors to that strife are no longer there. In some cases, in roster form, and in some cases, via employment being terminated. But be that as it may, 7 and 6 is what people see. And then they see a lot of coaches moving on, and they see a lot of kids hitting the portal. I mean, a ton of kids hitting the portal. Yeah, that looks terrible. How terrible is it? I don't think it's nearly as terrible as it seems. Let's walk through this for just a second. Who did they lose? They lost Barry Odom, friend of the program. What did he do? He took a head coaching job at UNLV. So I would argue that's a step up. I'm going to get to Kendall Briles in just a second. But elsewhere, uh, Dowell Logans went from your tight ends coach to being an offensive coordinator at South Carolina. That's a step up. That's advancement career-wise. Uh, Michael Shearer is the defensive coordinator at UNLV. He was a position coach for you. That would be viewed by many people as advancement the one that's confused even me is Kendall Bryles. I've, I've heard some speculation about why he may have moved on, maybe overplayed his hand, uh, maybe it was a mutual parting of ways, whatever it is. You go from being the OC at Arkansas to being the OC at TCU, folks going to call it a lateral move at best, and I don't disagree with them. But that in and of itself is not a cause to sound the panic alarm. But if you couple it, with a whole bunch of players leaving via the portal, then there are some holdouts over here on this side of the room who say, all right, well, now that you tell me that part, yeah, I think it's time to panic. All right. Well, let's continue to dive into these weeds here. What about the portal? They, I think, have lost 28 kids, 27 to 28 kids to the portal, but they've got the number 14 portal class in the country too, so it's not been a one-way street. that, That revolving door... The thing about it is when someone goes out, someone else can come in, and they have not matched it, number for number, departure to arrival. I would also remind you, the portal season's not over. They can still add kids in the portal now. There's going to be a fresh wave after spring practice. So I think Arkansas will take some numbers. They already have. They're top 15. But post-spring notwithstanding, I am kind of interested in a couple of things. The first is they got a player named isaac tesla and you don't know anything about him don't pretend you do because we didn't until like two days ago producer jesse and i sat in an office i promise you this happened today we sat in an office and we watched highlight film of isaac tesla from hillsdale college that's a d2 up in michigan and 68 receptions over 1300 yards and 13 touchdowns get your attention on paper but six four two ten gets my attention on film as well and really doesn't trade a lot of the speed and athleticism in exchange for that size. I don't know how it happens. I don't know how kids like that just pop up at Hillsdale, but he did, and he had a lot of Power 5 offers, and Sam Pittman in Arkansas picked him up, and I am very, very interested if that may not be one of the big off-the-radar names that we end up coming out of spring ball and saying, watch out for that one. What? They, they You ever heard of Hillsdale? Well, there's a kid out of there. He's in Fayetteville now. Watch him. I'm just trying to make you sound like the smartest guy at the water cooler in and around the greater Fayetteville area before spring practice. So let's keep an eye on him. The other thing is K.J. Jefferson was an integral part of the 2023 plan. Him being healthy is the other part. But an integral part, they kept him there. Uh, they did what they had to do to keep him in Arkansas. And that's another huge win. Now, here's the interesting name that entered the equation for those of us in the public yesterday. But I think he was already in the mix long before yesterday for Sam Pittman. Kendall Bryles was gone like 30 seconds officially before they hired a new offensive coordinator. And it's Dan Enos from Maryland. Familiarity with the Arkansas faithful from his time under Brett Bielema. And Dan Enos has been in the SEC before. He was at Alabama. He's been at Arkansas. Well, now he's back in the SEC. And there, you know, you know that gif out there where the lady's excited, and then she's puzzled, and then she's hopeful, and then she's confused, and then she's jubilant again? That was the Arkansas fan base yesterday. Are, are we excited about Enos? Because he was kind of good when he was here the first time. But then there's some confusion, and then, I don't know, man, we could have done better. Is he as good as Bryles? Maybe he's better than Bryles. That was the Arkansas fan base yesterday, and I understand it. I get it. You know why I get it? I feel the same way you do. I don't know how it's going to work out. But I do know, and this is probably should have been the point I made five minutes ago, they had some internal issues up there this past year and anyone close to the program knows that that's not breaking news to our arkansas fans that's not breaking news to sam pittman or anyone in the program but i'm trying to tell you on the outside when you have internal issues when things aren't going the way you want them to the last thing in the world you should do is just stand pat the last thing you should do is maintain normalcy because that's going to get you more of what you've already gotten so if you had internal issues this year you didn't like the chemistry the dynamic you had to have a lot of churn a lot of players should be hitting the portal a lot of coaches should be moving on you need fresh blood you need it now there's no guarantee that it all works out that's where you hope your leadership your AD your head coach and the like you hope they have enough of a forward-thinking positive vision for where they're taking the program that they go find the pieces to put on the bus that are all interested in going the same direction using the same methodology. Yeah, we can hope that. We don't know that. But uh, truthfully, if I heard the things I had heard and there were the rumors that we've heard out of what it was like internally at Arkansas this past year, I'd be concerned if there weren't a ton of coaches and players on the way out the door. I think that makes sense. I don't think that's the craziest thing in the world. I just think you have to, you have to, you have to grab the situation and open it up a little bit because Otherwise, you could be led to believe coaches are leaving, players are leaving, that means something's wrong. Maybe coaches and players are leaving because something was wrong, and maybe in some cases, I don't know, they contributed. Maybe, just maybe. Now that's not to say everyone who's left Arkansas was a problem player or a problem coach. I am speaking very, very much in an overarching manner. It's not, it's not a death knell to the Arkansas program because some people left because we gotta find out whether the people who came in are as good or better, and can seamlessly you know, mesh with what they're trying to do. I did my best, I did my best. Um, they got a little situation in Ann Arbor, Michigan we need to talk about here. I appreciate you guys being tuned in live. Um, thumbs up, like that video if you're watching live, please. Michigan's being investigated by the NCAA, and today, Anthony asked whether he should be worried about this NCAA investigation as a Michigan fan. Um, You should always be concerned because there's no predictability with the governing body of this sport. Unfortunate though it may be. But the news last week came out that the NCAA was investigating Michigan. And at the time, I I looked at the news and I kind of brushed it off because we've seen so many fiery headlines lead to fizzling when it comes to actual punitive measures that have been taken against programs lately. I'm not saying I want to see anything happen to Michigan. Quite the opposite. But today, Dan Wetzel on Yahoo! came out with an article, and the headline was essentially, Negotiations between the University of Michigan and the NCAA had broken down. Now, to take you back to last week, one of the allegations is a level one violation against Jim Harbaugh, and that level one violation to save you some time was essentially, he lied to investigators about, what was it, Jesse? It was, like, it was like during COVID, there was some stuff you weren't allowed to do, and they were doing it, and then he lied to investigators. Really, in my mind, some minor stuff, and one of those classic Watergate, it's the cover-up, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. Well, here's the thing. Um, the is not the federal government and they really don't have necessarily the power or the, well, I'm not gonna necessarily praise our federal government either, but my point is that leads us to today. That's the backstory, that leads us to today. Dan Wetzel releases an article today, and in it, he reveals that negotiations between the NCAA and Michigan have broken down because essentially the NCAA walked in the door, sat down and said, okay, Jim, you got a level one violation on your hands, but we can make it a lot easier on you." And then you know they they slide the piece of paper across the desk. If you'll just sign this document that admits you lied to us. And back in the day, this used to work. Because back in the day, people who were ill-equipped to handle the NCAA dealt with the NCAA, i.e. coaches and athletic directors. These days, lawyers are in the room. And any lawyer worth his or her salt would have looked at Jim Harbaugh and told him to do exactly what he did do. And that is throw up the double barrel middle finger and say, I'm not signing that. You show us whatever you have. We'll we'll, we'll just move on. Cease negotiation. You send us the letter of infractions, LOI, whatever that stands for. You send us that and we'll go through this the way you want to go through this. We'll hand it the classical way. Uh, Jim Harbaugh says, I'm not signing anything. And uh, the level one... Violation is built around an allegation that he lied to him, which leads to the natural follow up question of how in the world are they about to prove that guy lied? Because Jim Harbaugh's entire stance is maybe he did things not knowing that they were illegal. And he, I think, in some cases said, I don't even remember it. And so, how are you going to prove that? They're not going to. Let me spoil the ending for you. They're not going to prove that. And so, you're going to learn, I think, in, in due time that Jim Harbaugh in Michigan took the only line that you should ever take with the NCAA now and moving forward, especially when they try those sorts of tactics, and that is to not give an inch. Don't budge an inch with these people. If you, in the words of Jim Ross, if you could buy them for what they're worth and sell them for what they think they're worth, you wouldn't have to work again a day in your life that's what you're dealing with when you're dealing with ncaa investigators now i am not here to wave the maize and blue flag and claim that everything was followed to the letter of the law up there i am just trying to point out the glaring hypocrisy that exists in this sport right now where the last thing the governing body has is control over anything and and you've it's like being pulled over for doing like 73 in a 65 and as you're on the side of the interstate, multiple crotch rockets go by at 120 and the cops oblivious. I didn't hear anything. Sir, could I see your license and registration please? And you're like, what am I sitting over here for? I'm not handing you anything. Well, that's Jim Harbaugh right now. And that's Michigan. And, and that's the world that they're existing in. Vroom, boom, boom. There goes I'm not going to name universities, but there go some other universities out there, and here I am on the side of the interstate. we're doing 73 and 65. Oh, and by the way, I didn't even see the speed limit sign. I didn't even know I was speeding. Sir, could you just sign this piece of paper that said you were speeding so that we really don't have to do our work, you can do it for us? Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, well, aren't you scared of what we'll do to you? No, not necessarily. I don't think you have any teeth anymore. Peel back those lips. That's what I thought. Gums. No teeth to be found. The NCAA won't have teeth on this. Not very much is going to happen to Michigan. And at most, it will probably be uh, related to like a Jim Harbaugh suspension or maybe a Jim Harbaugh fine. Because if it's anything else, the University of Michigan should drop the full legal weight of that university on the NCAA. That's what they should. And they shouldn't have to do it because their conference office should do it for them. But even if the Big Ten doesn't acquiesce, because there's currently not a commissioner there, the University of Michigan should. So, I hope I haven't been unclear as to whose side I'm on in this entire transaction. Uh, let's continue with bold predictions. I, I was afraid, as were the people in the control room right now, that with the pace we got started on tonight, we were going to go two hours. Nope, we're nearly done, don't worry. Bold predictions in August were so easy, weren't they? Because you just had to say things And I just had to say things, and there was no consequence. But here's the thing about August every one of them that has ever occurred was eventually followed by a January. And in January, we find out who was right and who was wrong. And I asked you for bullet predictions in August, and one of you just so thoroughly nailed it, you get to lead off the segment tonight. How about this one? Chris said Alabama will lose two regular season games, and neither of them will be Texas A&M. And, and, well, then he said something not so nice about Nick Saban. (sighs) This happened. Two regular season losses. Neither of them were Texas A&M, although that game came down to the final play. That's the one Bryce Young didn't start. They lost to Tennessee. They lost to LSU by a combined four points. But the thing about it is, whether you lose by four or 400, as far as Chris is concerned, he was right. Up until this year, there were only two seasons for Alabama under Nick Saban after 07. We don't even count 07. That was the first year. So from 2008 through present day, there were only two other seasons where they had lost two or more regular season games. One of them was 2010, and the other one was 2019. And uh, that was the year where they played Joe Burrow. And I think they lost to Auburn. That was the game where Tua was out. Mac Jones got the start. So it is rare for this to happen. And not only did it happen, Chris took the added step of saying, yeah, the rest of you don't know this, but a and going to kind of suck this year. So it's not even going to be them that beats Alabama. It's going to be folks that come from out of nowhere. Ding. Next up, let's go to the ACC. This was, this was sort of doomed from the beginning. Uh, PJ said, FSU will be this year's Baylor. They will win the ACC from Gainesville, Georgia, home of the Red Elephants. Uh, This didn't happen. I called this a nine on the boldness scale just too soon. Now, you want to say this about this upcoming year, we may even agree, but this past year, here's how far away it was. FSU lost to Clemson. They could have beat Clemson, and if the rest of the years played out respectively like they did, even with a head-to-head win, it wouldn't have mattered. FSU had three losses, but there you see them on the screen right now. NC State... Clemson, Wake Forest, they were three conference losses. So you take away the Clemson loss, turn it into a win. Clemson was still undefeated in conference play. So they still would have had the advantage on you. It was bold, and FSU won 10 games. And I got to be honest, if I knew FSU was going to win 10 games when this prediction came down, I would not have made it a 9 on the boldness scale. Be that as it may, close, but no cigar. Next up, a little playoff prediction here. Simon said, cracks knuckles, clears throat. Utah goes either undefeated or 12-1 and and crashes the college football playoff. I believed in Utah. I had Utah in my playoff field. And I I missed. And I missed. And I, I made this an eight. I made the prediction an eight, even though I was making the prediction with him because I knew my prediction was pretty bold. Utah voluntarily put themselves in a tough spot right out of the gate because they went to Florida. They didn't have to. And Florida has to go out there this next year, by the way, to open the season. But Utah lost to Florida. Classic game to open the season. They lost. And so they were already on thin ice with hot blades before week two even arrived. And they, I think they lost three games. They, as a matter of fact, Utah does not have a season with fewer than two losses since they've joined the Power Five ranks since they've been in the Pac-12. And they lost to Florida this year, UCLA, Oregon. Been a good program. It's just, you know, people said when they were in the Mountain West and then they were gonna join the Pac-12, they said, your days of being that G5 darling and being in the playoff picture every year are over. They were right. They haven't been there since. I mean, they haven't been in that picture since, and they've had some good years. Whittingham's one of the best coaches in the country. It just goes to show you how hard it is to maintain that level of consistency. And when you get benefit of the doubt as a P5 program and you don't as a G5 program, Utah's the classic example of why that kind of mentality exists. I have that mentality sometimes. Utah's why it exists. So this did not happen. No Utah in the playoff. Yet, still a pretty good year. Beat USC twice. Won the conference championship. No playoff, though. Next up, Penn State wins 10-plus games. And Sean Clifford is a big reason why. Yes, yes, yes. In Sean, I trust it, at least. That makes one of us in this building. They lost to Michigan. They lost to Ohio State. And a lot of people predicted that at the beginning of the year. And when this prediction aired, I remember some of the comments saying, they're not going to be a 10-win team. They're not going to beat Michigan or Ohio State. And I sat there, and I'm like, counting on both hands, like throwing up gang signs, trying to figure out, well, where are the other losses? Because this guy didn't say undefeated. He didn't say 11-1. and one. He said 10-2. and two. And you just chalked up two hypothetical losses. So far, all he is is right. you got to find me more losses. And you didn't. In fact, the closest they came was that week one game against Purdue. And they snuck by Purdue. I remember being in a Fayetteville, Arkansas hotel room watching that game. I think it was a Friday night game. And they they lost those two games. And I think one of the more impressive underrated things we saw in the second half of college football 2022 was James Franklin. Seeing his team lose a lot of their preseason goals, and they just went right back to playing dominant football. Them and FSU. Down the stretch, played very, very promising, dominant football. So this one did hit. They did win 10-plus games. The last one here uh, did not come close. This one, um, I gave a 9.5. Sean said, a defensive player will make it to New York for the Heisman, and it's not going to be Will Anderson. Well, Will Anderson did not make it as a Heisman Trophy finalist, and unlike last year, he didn't deserve to make it this year. Last year was just a royal screw job. Anyway... Not only did Will Anderson not make it, no defensive player finished inside the top 10. Not necessarily because none of the defensive players in the country were among the 10 best. Never mind. You know my feelings on the Heisman Trophy voting process. So be that as it may, we had to bake that into the prediction. Nine and a half was the boldness scale on that, and it did not hit. This was a loaded show. College football season ended over a week ago, and we sit here and go an hour ten minutes anyway. We appreciate you guys so much. Um, we got to everything we could possibly get to tonight. Uh, there were some things we had to scrap from the show, but we appreciate you nonetheless. Uh, make sure you're following on the socials at Late Kick Josh, because as you can see, there's a lot happening, and we don't have a show every night, just every other night. So do that for me, and I will be happy until Sunday night. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Bates. Take care. Have a great start to your weekend, and God bless.